This recording is a production of the Conservative Anabaptist Education Committee. This presentation was recorded at the Conservative Anabaptist School Board Institute 2017, held in Sugar Creek, Ohio, on March 3 and 4. Well, hasn't it been exciting? It's not very often you get fed as richly, materially, and spiritually in one day in the subject of education is what we're getting today. It's a real blessing to see so many people that care, not about just what's going on today, but what's going on in the future. Because these little ones that we're here worried about how we can do a better job, we're worried about working with them in many different aspects. But you know those little ones are the church of tomorrow, if this world stands. We're fast leaving the scenes. And that's the, one of the reasons it touches our heart, I believe, as dear as it does. Now, I'm going to be working with talking to you today about a subject that's dear to me. And the reason for that is that uh, the struggling children, to understand what a child struggles with and what he's going through, is something that not just everybody can do because you've never looked through his window or her window. But that's the difference, and I'm sure there's, there's a lot of you out here that probably could relate to that. But I'm dyslexic, and I've been the student, and I've hated school, and I've been the teacher that worked with the student that hated school. I've stood in both pairs of shoes, and I understand them very well and all the emotional baggage that goes with them. And if I would ask for a hand raise after this talk, you might find some identity in this thing. And maybe even I could off challenge you to, if you think you're dyslexic, stand up and be counted. There's nothing to be ashamed of. One in five people process with difficulty. So you can look around you and let your imagination roam. But in thinking about this subject, I'd like to go to a scripture in the opening. Psalms 139, 14 is a very common verse. It says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Now to really acknowledge what that verse is saying, we acknowledge a couple of things when we look into it. The fact that I realize that I am wonderfully and fearfully made. You as an individual, your children, and marvelous are thy works. We're recognizing this is the work of God himself. This is not by chance. This is not a throwing together and mixing together of gene pools. This is God's work. And that my soul knoweth right well. I trust that and I believe that. That was something that I had to come to grips with in my life. And I'll be talking about myself and school and things related to learning as we go through this uh, time because I know myself better than I know anybody else. But let's look at the subject of dyslexia. And when we think of God purposefully having creation, I'd like to point out in the beginning something that is profound to realize. God does not make mistakes. He does not make mistakes. Things don't just happen. This isn't a big bang theory. 
This is a purposeful creation. And when we think of this LD, think of working with people or children that have that stamp of being the LD person on them. Most of the time that is going to be interpreted as a learning disabled person or child. But I'd like to change that thinking today. I'd like for us to shift that around to a different thought. Instead of learning disabled, which they are far from, I would like to think more of a learning differently. That's really all that's going on. They learn differently. And in the educational field, we have not done well, and I'll be one of the first ones to admit it. We have not done well in dealing with differences in education. Because of the fact that most of us, or I have to change here, most of them in the field of education that are teachers have never looked through this window. And I'm not saying that's an advantage or a disadvantage, but it does deprive you of the ability to fully understand what's going on if you've never been there. This is my first trip to this place, this part of the country. And now I can say I've been here. Even got to see some snow. And that's a real novelty in Georgia. But we can't see that struggle that goes on. But we hear about something called dyslexia. Could it be? Is that the problem? Especially when someone says it has to do with letters and reading. We think, oh, he or she. Yeah, they struggle in that area. But they don't see backwards or upside down. They don't mix things all up. That's what dyslexia is. That's a myth. Dyslexia can include that. But dyslexia is actually a brain processing development. And you have a handout there that I don't even like the way this thing's titled. It's not original with me, but it's got some good information on it. Warning signs of dyslexia? What is this, something we're going to catch? Do we need to start inoculating or vaccinating against this stuff? Really, it's just like if we would change this around a little bit and say warning signs of having blonde hair or red hair. And we wouldn't, oh, I mean, that comes from Pop, you know? I mean, after all, he had red hair. Oh, buddy, that's the same place dyslexia comes from. The apples fall right straight under the trees, and they're just as true as they can be. But I would think instead of a warning, and that gives us, that puts us on edge, we're watching for something, a warning. I like to think more of a danger. And what is the danger? The greatest danger is them not being recognized for what they are and being worked with. That's the danger. Now, I'm going to tell you in the beginning here, I'm not, I'm, it's not my desire to send anyone on a guilt trip. If you think over years of maybe teaching or dealing with children, and as, as you think of some things, maybe there's going to be a twinge of guilt of something that you have maybe reacted in. <clears throat> that is not the intent. If you want to feel bad, I'll, I'll just tell you, don't spend long doing it. Go ahead if you need to, but just don't, don't camp out there. Okay, let's look at this piece of paper here just a minute. It has some, some things that help us identify. And it says... Uh, if we have three or more of these things that we need to seriously consider something happening. And looking at the preschool child, there's a list of things there. I'm not going to cover all of these. I've got a fair amount of material to go over in talking about this topic. But I want to look at a few of them. One of them there is mixes up sounds and syllables in long words. 
seeing a long word, if you're having trouble processing, I'm, gonna, I'm going to like this processing issue to, to uh, maybe we'll say the old coffee grinder, the one with the big wheel on the side, dump coffee on the top. Some of us come with the ability to turn that coffee grinder, we, we were just born to grind coffee. It's no problem. As we grow up, we grind coffee faster and better. Some people are not born with that ability. Whether their arm is short, weak, or maybe they don't have a hand, and they have to just do the best they can. That is not to be looked down on critically, but they still turn the grinder. But why do they turn it slower? There's a reason. There's a real reason. The word dyslexia was developed as this topic was being researched, and some people wonder, why is there so much about these things today? It's just simply because we know more about them. For a long time, dyslexia, the beginnings of the word goes back dis, uh, meaning difficult. Lexia was a mistake. There was supposed to have been a different word there. But the man that put this together, he thought lexia means language or speaking. Well, he was a little wrong, but by then it had been stuck and it stuck good. So ever since then, it's been referred to as dyslexia. But really what it is is a difficulty in processing sounds and the way letters work. So we mix up syllables. The next one there is someone that might have a real question on chronic ear infections. You know, it's interesting that we can, we can look at history and health records of children and people that deal with dyslexia, and we find this in their records, but science cannot tell us why. Science has, does not have solid evidence as to why they deal with ear infections, but as infants, they dealt with ear infections. And we'll jump down to they're late in establishing a dominant hand, right and left, and we think of letters, reversal in letters, that kind of goes along with this, this brain development, and also uh, then they're going to have difficulty in tying their shoes, things that have multiple steps that have to be followed the same way every time. Have you ever seen children that tied their shoes several different ways? The object was to get them to stay on. And the knots could look very interesting. But what always catches my wife and I, our eye is a child that has dominancy issues and they come in wearing the Velcro shoes. We know that that's a pretty telltale sign right there. And they praise the man that invented Velcro. Because these are things, we can't explain why it's difficult. It's because of the way their brain thinks. It's actually a difference in the creation. Uh, jump down to can't create words with rhymes. And we see this in your preschooler. Not always. All of these signs can be evident, but not always. But maybe they don't do well with nursery rhymes or try to create little rhyming things. It just doesn't work well for them. There's nothing wrong with them. It's the way they process. They don't deal easily with the way symbols go together to make sounds. And we're going to establish that thought right now. Letters are nothing more than symbols that represent sounds. And the confusing process that our brain has to go through 
To see a word and decode it, that means to pull it apart. We see that word and we take it in visually. Those neurological pathways carry that information into the brain. And if we'd be watching brains work in here, we had little windows on the side here. Well, technology lets us do that today with the MRI, and especially with the fMRI. That is, a, that is an MRI that watches constant, it's not just a picture, it watches the constant movement. A non-dyslexic person picks up a piece of paper to read it, and just like any other part of the body, the body's going to rush blood to the area, oxygen-rich blood to the area that's needed. Okay, the non-dyslexic, they're going to start rushing blood back here in this lobal area. And what's so interesting is in these MRIs is the brain looks brilliant green and blood looks red, so it's pretty graphic. But we see it start traveling back through the brain. The dyslexic starts balling up right here in the temporal area. And there may be another spot a little bit higher that'll start lighting up. Why does it go back here? Because there's a different brain design here. It'll also start traveling on the right-hand side. And what it's trying to do is use alternate routes to get to the same place. And they're created that way, to use these alternate routes. It's not the easy way to get there. It's the way God gave them to get there. But we can't see this happening in children. So it's hard for us to understand why they don't just do like everybody else. What's going on? Okay, let's move down to elementary school. I'm going to move through these kind of fast here. Dysgraphia. You've got the child that writes awful. It's not on the line. It's below it. It's above it. It's crunched together. And we wonder, why can't they just stick with the line so we just do more of it? And we do more of it. And it doesn't seem to improve a little bit, but not to last. Again, dysgraphia follows the struggle to process these very letters. One of the hardest things for a dyslexic to do, or a person that struggles to process, is not only to speak, to read, but to process it, bring it back out, and activate the motor nerves that operate the hand to write it. One of the most difficult things for them to do is express their thoughts on paper. They struggle greatly with that. So if handwriting gets chronic to the, to the degree that it is a slow, hard work, we're looking at something that actually has a name, and that's dysgraphia. Then we have the letters or number reversals continuing past the first grade. We don't get really concerned in the first grade, even into the beginning of the second grade if children once in a while reverse a letter. But when it consistently happens on the end of the second grade, and especially a third grader, or either if they're reading, and in their reading they reverse letters. That's showing us a processing issue. And my wife and I, we do screening to help determine what is the phonological process that's going on here. That's causing maybe something that a teacher says, there's something going on here. It's starting to define itself as a struggle. And see, that's what we so often do as we start to see these things. We, we look for a reason for this thing. And we, for some reason, we feel obligated to give it a name. Too often, it gets names like stubborn, slow, lazy, when really all it is is it's hard to turn the handle.
it's hard. Sometimes we look at people that tell us that, uh, <clears throat> that their concentration, they, they can't stay on task. Now, I'm not going to get into ADD and ADHD. I'll touch those a little bit in the next session in the workshop. But we're going to stick with dyslexia. If you do something all the time that's hard, how do you like sticking with it? How easy is it, is it going to be for you to veer away from there and find something that's easier to do? I used to have, in school, I had a terrible time keeping my mind inside because out there was freedom to me. It was outside the bonds of books. There was nobody out there to stand over me and prove me wrong and make life hard for me. And I know my teachers didn't do that on purpose, but that was the way I felt. So we look at reversals. Yeah, there can be some problems with that. Today, I have trained myself. If I'm going to write down a number, I look at it two and three times to make sure I get those numbers in the right place. You know, we program our phones with all these numbers. Well, when I punch my phone sometimes, if I programmed it, it doesn't call the right person. And I find out it's just simply because there's a number. And usually they're all there. They're just not in the right order. And that makes a big difference with numbers. They don't work like that. Okay, learning cursive is extremely difficult for these children because we are working in a mode that is not an automatic mode. Dealing with letters and processing sounds that these letters represent, we can't get to the automatic mode. What is the automatic reading mode like? Most all of you probably experience that to some degree. It is where, and we don't realize when we slide into that, you know, we go along learning our phonics and how words work, but we slide into this ability to read and it just flows. Actually, what's happening in all realities, you're seeing several words ahead of what you're processing. That's amazing. The dyslexic never gets there. He can't get into that mode because it's so hard to turn that thing. His reading is pop, 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 word at a time. And that's difficult. And when he hits one that he doesn't recognize, then it's a whole jumble of these things we call symbols or letters. And somehow they've got to go together to make this word. And then till I figured out what that is, what does the word mean? Why, why am I even reading this word? See, comprehension. People say they've got terrible comprehension. To check comprehension, remove reading away from the picture. Tell someone a story of some kind or give them some information and then turn around and ask them questions about this information. If they can return this information back to you, their comprehension's okay. Comprehension is to be able to take in, grasp, and return information. But what's... What blocks that process for so many children that struggle to process is the process of reading. Having to read it to process it and then say it. They're terrible spellers. My speller sits right here in the middle of the front row. And I use her quite frequently. And I depend on that. I know I have trouble spelling. For many years I was ashamed of it. I taught school for over 20 years was in administration for a couple of years. And I've got some students sitting in here, former students. But they never saw me go to the chalkboard and write something on the chalkboard 
like a sentence just out across the chalkboard. Or just stand up there and orally take things and write them on the board. I was afraid I couldn't spell them, and I didn't want them to know it. I couldn't spell it. And I, I spent so much energy trying to hide the way I was from everybody else. If I could use that energy to apply it to other things, I could have done better. But I wanted to hide it. And that is one thing that goes really big with this whole subject, is the emotional baggage these people carry with them. They carry pretty heavy emotional baggage. As I work with children, to come along beside someone, and if you can tell them, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to make this thing work. And even if you can say, I've been there and I know exactly what it's like, you can just see the baggage go down. And often, things for them, even academically, will begin to improve right there just from setting down the baggage. But we aren't addressing the issue yet. We're just recognizing it. And then when they see that we're okay with them, they start to be okay with themselves. I still remember when I found out what my issue was. I didn't know, but about a year and a half ago, two years, my wife and I, we work with Christian Light Education, going around visiting schools. We saw these children everywhere. They are struggling. Teachers found out that this man knows a little bit of something about struggling children, so they kind of flocked to us. And I could give them a lot of ideas, but I couldn't give them answers. That's what I wanted to know is, what can I tell them to do that will make a lasting effect on this thing? We began to study learning struggles. And when we came to dyslex dyslexia for the first time, I knew what my issue was. And I could accept it. And the more I learned about it, the more I understood what's going on and what I have gone through in dealing with it myself. Not even thinking about it. At the time, it's just something that you have to do and you have to face. If I could go back and reteach the years, they'd be quite different. My students used to wonder, because those children need more time to process, they'd wonder why Mr. Whit doesn't get over this thing. You know, I'm explaining something. Maybe I'm calling out spelling words. I don't call out the next spelling word until I see every child has finished writing their spelling words. And then I'd call out the next one. And I have students that actually would roll their eyes at me. Mr. Whit, you expect us to take a nap between spelling words? No, I'm waiting for Johnny to finish. Because I was that little Johnny. I was there. I was the one that would raise his hand and after the spelling words were over, you know, being called out and ask, could you call out number 12, 17, and 18 again for me? And children next to me would look over there and snicker and say, what'd you do, go on vacation or something? I mean, she called them out, but I couldn't get them. I didn't know what happened. They were lost in the turning of the gears. Trouble remembering sight words, things that we should know. What about homonyms? There, there, and there. They all sound alike, don't they? As far as I was concerned, any of them would work too. Because if I'm telling you something, you don't know which one I said, do you? And if I had to write it down, I didn't either. It's a confusing thing to work with. Children that would write... You know, O-U-R, our. I'd have children that were struggling children that would write A-R-E, R. You know, that's our dog that got ran over at the end of the road. And I recognized what was going on there. That's okay. That's okay. God hasn't made a mistake. And there's nothing wrong with us.
Difficulty telling time with hands on a clock? We praise the man that invented the digital clock. Don't ask me why that's tough. It is. Okay, I'm not going to go over into high school and adults. We might come back and make reference to this paper again. I wanted to send it out there just as something for you to have in hand that gives you some black and white things to look at. <clears throat> Let's talk a little more about dyslexia and it, what we see in our classrooms. Dyslexia is really, when you think of a child, it's a difficulty that intelligent people have in recognizing and decoding words. Now, our first thought is there's something wrong here. You know, just like the warning signs, that's what we've got to get over right there. We have to get over this thought that something's wrong. The only thing that's wrong is we don't recognize it and know how to deal with it. That's all. If you think of the thing of one in five people to process this way. Let's talk about the brain a little bit. What, what is different about this brain? Well, a dyslexic's brain is actually designed different. It looks different. A non-dyslexic, your non-dyslexics in here that in, have no trouble processing letters and reading and spelling, you're going to carry 12% more brain, I mean 10% more brain matter on the left-hand side. That's just the creation of your brain. The dyslexic carries the same amount on both sides. So in all reality, he has 10% more brain matter on the right-hand side. We discovered this because people that struggle with this thing of not being able to read and process and struggle with words and letters, these people often were renowned people. And as, as they lived out their life and they passed away, they donated organs, the brain. The Harvard Brain Bank, now please, we're through eating lunch, don't let me gross you out, but the Harvard Brain Bank is like a library full of brains. They're preserved. They're filed. They're categorized. And you can go in there, and if a person's brain is there, you can look it up on the card on the file and go and pull the brain. And you can look at that brain preserved. They have, they've discovered these things. These people that lived this way and performed this way in life, they started seeing consistencies. And that began deeper and deeper studies that led to the technologies we have today that watch brains and work, that are, are in action. And this is, so it tells us that this is no happening that happened by mistake. And so looking at the creation of this brain and the way it's wired differently, how intricate is the wiring in a brain? I don't know if you've ever driven over one of these telephone boxes. If you were, you weren't supposed to out by the edge of the road. Sometimes the disc catches them, you know, and, and then the telephone company comes by and he's got to put a new case in there and hook it all back up. But did you get a peek inside? At all the wires. Can you imagine the brain is just multiple times more complicated in circuitry than something like that? It's a miraculous way that it carries neurological information around to run this whole body. For me to speak to you today, I have to formulate a thought. That thought has to come together in my mind and then I have to be able to transfer that into sounds. And then those sounds have to activate my vocal cords, but I've got to use the right sounds to represent the right letters 
So it's like using the written word to make the right thing come together to come out to you that I can convey to you the message that I want you to have. It's, it's very, very complicated. But the dyslexic's whole catch is right there in the processing of sound. That's it. There's nothing broken. I had a lady in Pennsylvania ask me, why is everybody catching this stuff? Well, believe me, it's not contagious, so you don't have to sit back. In all of this, we're talking about the difficulties of, you know, working with spelling and reading and things like this. I want to establish the fact that we're not making excuses for why children don't perform. We're not making excuses. We're giving reasons and answers and facts today. There's a real reason, and there's nothing wrong with it. <clears throat> when we think of brain development, I'd like to think of two, factory, two tractors that came from the factory. Brand new tractors. They came, they're delivered to your farm. And you've got, I, I, I imagine there's enough agriculture in here, we can appreciate this illustration. We've got a whole row of equipment out there. And these two tractors are delivered. They're the same horsepower, the same brand of tires. Everything's the same just about. Notice I said just about. One's white and one's purple. I intentionally avoided green, red, and blue. <laughs> okay, you climb on that white tractor and you fire it off and it just purrs and hums and you back up to a piece of equipment which is the most needed task to be done at the time. You hook right on to it and down the road you go out in the field and you go to work. And you have another piece of equipment just like that. So you tell your worker, hook this purple tractor onto that other one over there and let's get in the field and get busy. He backs up to this thing and he can plug the remotes in, but he can't hook onto it. There's a little something back there at the hitch that's wrong. It came from the factory like this. Can it pull that piece of equipment? Yeah, we can, we can make some adaptions, we can do something. But is there anything wrong with the tractor itself? No. The problem's that one thing right back there. Do we condemn the whole tractor as being broken? There's nothing wrong with that tractor. This crude illustration is what it's like to be able to do a lot of things. Now that purple tractor will hook on to some of your other pieces out there and it will do a terrific job of running them. But to that piece of equipment, it can't without something being done. That's where we stop. We just, we, we brand that thing as broke and we don't look a whole lot further. Well, let's look at brain development. What happened here? Straight from the factory. Okay, as an unborn infant is developing and the brain begins to develop. I'm gonna to try to keep this from getting too complicated because it can be very technical. But as that brain begins to develop and it starts to here, I mean, you're, a child actually can hear and detect sound and even categorize that sound before they're ever born. In the world of technology, we call those tiny little bits of information that get stored on the hard drive, we call those megabytes. That's how we measure the amount of information that that hard drive can hold. But in our mind, working with our brains, those little tiny bits and pieces of information, which is the smallest part of sound that your brain can process, is called a phoneme. So as that baby hears sound, it's just sound, until that brain can start to attach phonemes of knowledge 
to the hard drive. And soon, after that process, that baby can identify that same sound. That's mom's voice. He can hear that voice. She can tell that's the same one. She has classified that thing. She has used her knowledge to do that. And they'll even pick up other sounds. Maybe that deeper voice. That's dad. I haven't seen him yet, but I can tell that's that same voice that I hear. Yes, that processor is performing more and more difficult tasks. Those phonemes are sticking on the hard drive. After birth, that baby can also take in other neurological input besides just sound, and it immediately can identify those sounds that it knew already. How does it know them? It has gathered that information together, collected it, and classified it. But now they can add vision, smell, taste, all of these things start filling in and the classification and the knowledge gets larger, fast. And as this child begins to develop and grow up a little bit, we just see the amazing amount of knowledge that it picks up and gathers. You know how the little one before they can hardly talk. They're wanting to know about everything. Punching and pointing and gurgling and, oh, he made a sound. He made a sound. How did he do that? Well, it's not satisfied with just making a sound. It'll continue that processing issue and that compounding of information sticking on that hard drive gets more and more complex. And the first thing that baby realizes is they can formulate those sounds and somewhat be in control of them. And they do something that just thrills a parent's heart. They put it together and, and they come out with something like mama or daddy. A very complicated process, but the wonderful works of the brain is at work. And we don't see anything going on here, and the parents just glows with love and admiration as this child develops. We see him come up to the, to the years of going to school, and we're just convinced this is the sharpest little chap that ever walked. Uh, it might have something to do with the fact he's mine, but uh, I, without a doubt. And then the teacher tells us something a little ways into the phonics program that little Johnny here, we're just going to pick on him for right now, he seems there's something going on here. It's kind of starting to identify itself. We're not sure what it is, but there's a little bit of a struggle. Okay? It continues on a little more. It looks a little more serious. Thought everything was okay. We've added one more element in school to this whole processing thing. And that's the element of writing, learning to write symbols, letters, and then learning to write them to represent the sounds that they're supposed to make and then to express words that I want to say. You've just hit the wall with one of the most difficult things for Johnny to do. And he does not know why he can't do it. I can remember, and I'm going to relate some of my school years, as I, as I got into school, it didn't take long and I realized that I'm slow. And... I didn't know why. And this is what commonly goes on with these children. They're reading, they're attempting to do their work, assigned work, and my finger's going across this page uh, as fast as I can push it. And I'm trying to process all these words because the teacher said, read this section and we're gonna answer questions. I know questions are coming. So I'm there, I'm, I'm just working at it, just working. Instead of sliding into that nice automatic mode, 
I'm, mine works pop, pop, pop. And then I smash all the pops together, make a word out of it. And then I move on. And, this is, and I see the fellow over here, his finger's way down here. Oh no, how, how can he do that? I don't, I don't understand that. I wish I could do that. The whole while I'm not reading. I'm worried about why he's reading like he is and why I'm not. And then, so I get back to it. You know, here I go, work, work, pop, pop, pop. Here we go. Working along down here. I finally get down near the bottom of the page and he's not at the top of the next one. He turns the page and that just blows me out of the water. What's wrong with me? I become convinced I'm broken. Something's wrong. And then the teacher comes along, meaning well, but very surprised at why I'm no further than I am. Can't you read faster than that? Is that as far as you are? Well, I want to. I'm trying to. I, I don't know why I can't. But, yeah, that's as far as I am. And the problem is I don't know half of what I've read because it's so hard to read. I'm having to constantly dive through the doorway of processing and jump back. So I start to try and read faster. And I don't read all the words that are there. And then I start using context to try to understand what's going on here and to pull it apart and make it happen. And soon I'm putting words in that aren't there to make it say what I think is going to happen. And the whole thing is just going all to pieces. And then when they want you to answer questions, you're not sure. You think you saw a word that looked like that somewhere, but it's a disaster again and again and again. That baggage gets heavy to carry when you think of yourself that way. Your teacher doesn't understand you. They never struggled with it. It's not their fault. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. It wasn't until 15, 20 years ago that dyslexia began to really be understood more and more. It was thought of as a medical term. It was a catch-all term. If you had a learning struggle and didn't really know what's going on, maybe somebody would say, it's probably dyslexic. But no one really knew where we were going in this thing. And it made for a lot of things that were untrue to be added to confusion and seemingly compounded the whole issue. So, <clears throat> what do we do? We start forming tools and crutches to help ourselves survive. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to get good. We just want to survive. And I can't tell you how mine developed, but it's like somebody stands right here over my shoulder. And when I'm reading, they're reading. It's, it's, I know what it is. It's a context. It's, run, it's like a separate part of my brain's running context on the words. And as I'm reading along, something says, that can't happen. It, it, it can't. So you, you can't do that. The cat, you just tripped over, got ran over yesterday. I mean, you can't have the cat here. And, and things just kind of just snarl. What did I do wrong? I go back and I find a mistake, a simple mistake. I read an is that was an isn't or a was that was a wasn't. Total opposite meanings. Totally changed the meaning of the context but by that simple mistake. But till this thing here tells me that won't work and I go back and find the mistake, correct it, take off again, the fluent reader is miles down the road just cruising along. His coffee grinder just spins almost freely. And then we look on that don't understand and it's frustrating to us. And we want to help, but we don't know how to help. And often we hurt. And some of the things that hurt the worst is when we hear remarks that, I know this is an attitude problem, or I punished him and it got better. 
You know what you did probably in those cases? That child probably, where this was hard, he just started turning for all his heart was worth because he was now being punished for something that he can't understand even what is wrong. He has no idea, but he got punished for it. It's like getting punished for the color of your hair because our hair color and our eye color are things we inherit. We inherit these processing abilities. They're nothing we chose, nothing went wrong. All we need is some tools to work with. I'm going to get into that a lot more in the next session, but let's think about people that have gone through and dealt with this thing. People like Thomas Edison, yes, he was dyslexic. Einstein, very dyslexic. We'll talk a little bit more about him next time. People that, I could just go on, the list goes on and on. People in our day and time, names that you know, of people that were very dyslexic and they were very misunderstood. But once they got their self worked around the doorway of letters and be, got enough crutches, Ted Turner, huge networking fellow. Yes, he's very dyslexic. We survive. One out of five is dyslexic. We survive. But it is not a comfortable place to be. You're always afraid of being exposed. And if you're sitting in here today and you know what that's like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We get to where we even look ahead always, constantly. We're watching for the corner that's going to catch us. Don't get caught in a corner. Think fast. Watch for what's coming because you don't want to be exposed. Well, for once, let's just face the fact it's okay to be like this. God created us this way, and there's a way to work with it. God didn't make mistakes. He made variety. And in the field of education, like I stated before, we have not done well to recognize variety. I can remember years ago, some years ago, I was teaching a class at Faith Builders uh, on learning disability. And there may be some of you in here that were in that class. I don't know. But if you remember two of the questions I asked at the beginning, one of them was, your teachers in here, which just about everybody was, how many of you enjoyed school? Almost all the hands went up. You know, some of them, I could have liked it better, you know, but almost all the hands. I said, and how many of you did well in school? Again, you know, I could have done better, but yeah, I did pretty good. Okay, well, that's the reason you've chosen the profession you have. That's also the reason you don't understand why little Johnny doesn't tick. It's not your fault. You've never looked through the window that he looks through every day when he goes into the classroom. That's the reason little Johnny starts out the day sometimes with, with a stomach ache and doesn't want to come to school, hates school, lives for recess time and Fridays. Those are his times. He can perform. He can get away. That's exactly why. I've been there before. I've been there. I can remember sitting in language arts class and I was watching the clock. I was watching that clock because that clock meant something to me. I really enjoy water. I really enjoy diving. And at one time, I'd set my heart on being a pearl diver. They can stay underwater for up to five minutes without having to come back up for air. But that's because of the lung capacity they've developed. It's something you can develop. Okay, I'm sitting here in language arts class, supposed to be doing language arts. It's, on, it's up on my desk, you know. The teacher sharply calls my name, scares me into the middle of next week, but I didn't know how scared she was. 
She sees this young man that looks like something crossed between a radish and a red beet. I'm sitting there holding my breath, watching the clock. Why? I have slipped away into an area that's my area. No one else can come there with me and tell me that you can't do this. I needed to taste success. I need to go, to go places and enjoy things. <clears throat> All students do. They have to be able to feel like they're a success. We'll get deeper into these issues in the next session. But like I said, when we can become okay with them, we accept them as the way they are, they can start to accept themselves the way they are. And then we start looking for ways to make this whole thing work. Like I said, we're not good at variety, but we need to work in that area. I'm really thrilled as I see more and more schools. My wife and I, we visit a lot of schools. We see more and more schools that have special ed teachers and provisions for these children that learn a little differently. And it's always easier to do for the child that we can physically see the difference. If, if we would have a Downs child come to our school, that's usually a blessing to the whole school. I've seen schools that just rallied together around issues like that. But we make provisions for that child to survive in that atmosphere because they're different. And we're willing to accept that difference and make it work. But if we had a child that was crippled, came to our school, we would make provisions, accommodations for that child to survive in that environment and succeed in that environment. We would rally around that child. But for some reason, too often in the past, we haven't had that attitude towards the child that we can't see anything physically wrong and we think, you just need to get with the program. I have never in my years, and I can say this honestly, met a child that purposefully wanted to be dumb, just didn't want to learn. That's against the nature of a child. But it's easy to assume that if I don't understand why he's not. I think it's a willful act. And then I say it's an attitude. I've had teachers to tell me that. There's an attitude here. I know that's it. Well, they glimpsed an attitude. But I'm going to tell you something. From experience, if you back a one-armed man out to the end of the pier every day and you get in his face and you tell him, swim, I want you to swim across the channel. Everybody else is swimming across the channel. You've, you've wasted so much time, you just won't jump off the end of the pier. It's time to jump off or I'm going to push you off. But you're going to swim like everybody else. You just might get an attitude in your face. And they might come out of there they don't know why they can't swim. They don't know why they didn't have that arm. But they can only take so much. They do know themselves. And they've probably done a good job of hiding, hiding it from everyone else. We, for some reason, have an idea that more of something makes you better at it. Okay, so we've got a child that's missing a hand. But we don't realize that they keep their sleeve pulled down. You know, we know there's something wrong there, but we're not sure exactly what it is. And when we're playing basketball, they don't dribble like everybody else. So what they need to do is just dribble some more and dribble some more. So I make opportunity for them to have special dribbling practice. And I demand more dribbling. It's going to make the situation better. But it doesn't get any better. And we pull the sleeve back and see there's a stub there. Didn't know that. But more of it just makes us better at it. 
Folks, it doesn't work. If this thing's hard to turn, there's a reason it's hard to turn. But we can make it work by being willing to accept the fact that there is something wrong and God did not make a mistake when he made it that way. It's a marvelous creation of his. It's just different. And I hesitate to talk about, you know, I'm going to get into some of these things in the next session a little deeper, but a dyslexic does have things to his advantage in his different brain design. We see in 3D. Now, if you're a dyslexic in here today, you're going to think everybody else does too, but I'm going to tell you, you're wrong. In my studying, when I found out dyslexic C in 3D, I didn't bite that one. I thought everybody sees and thinks the same way I do. See, I'm so accustomed and I have programmed myself to think this way too. So I went to a brother of mine that has a cabinet shop. I did cabinet work too. And I told him, when you get ready to build a vanity, how do you see that vanity in your mind? He said, how do you see it? I thought, okay, here we go. I see it from all sides in my mind. I can see it from all sides. I can turn it up and look straight through it. I can see where the kick's going to go into the bottom. Inside, I can turn it around and look in there and see where the drawer slides are going to go. I know exactly how it's going together. In my mind, I can see the whole thing. Can't you? He said, no, I can't. He said, I see it like a blueprint, a flat piece of paper. He said, I can draw all the sides. I can draw every piece of it, but I cannot see it 3D. And I realized it's real. And I've talked to other dyslexics. One was a very successful landscaper, very frustrated man. He said, I can see this whole yard landscaped and I can see it from the stones that are in the front with all of the different flower arrangements and the shrubbery that's going to be in the back against the corner of the house. And then he looks at his help. He says, y'all see this? This is what we're going to do. And he's just all into this thing. He's, he's just on fire. He can see the whole landscape. They said, no, we don't see it. You can't see this. He said, no, I'm sorry, we can't. Tell us how to do it and we'll do it. Write it down how you want it. The frustration that's there. Well, after visiting with that couple, uh, they told us, this, his wife said for the first time, I understand my husband. I haven't been able to figure this man out. She'd been living with him for quite a while. She said, she said I understand there's something wrong and it's okay. For the first time, I understand him. And I understand my son. We were there to screen the son. It's okay. That's where we have to get with this thing, that dyslexia is simply a struggle to process the way letters work, sounds and letters that make up words and spelling. I'll go more into detail on some of these things in the next session. But God's creation is wonderful. God has created variety because he wanted variety. God bless you in each of your individual situations and circumstances as you go back to your schools. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.